Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, Pulse producers are concerned about the diplomatic row that's flared up between Canada and India because we sell an awful lot of lentils to India. Saskagtoday.com's Kevin Hirsch comments on the latest out of that situation. A research scientist in Saskatoon has identified a protein that helps plant roots conserve resources in nitrogen-deficient soil. We'll hear from Dr. Leon Kochan, who is the root research group lead at the Global Institute for Food Security in Saskatoon. Once harvest wraps up, many producers turn their attention to fall fertilizer applications. Retired Yorkton agronomist Tom Weir will have some tips for us on that. So all of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. Welcome back to Saskag Today. Pulse producers are concerned about the diplomatic row that's flared up between Canada and India. Canada has suggested that the Indian government was involved in the murder of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil back in June in B.C. SaskAgToday.com's Kevin Hirsch has been following the story closely because India is one of Saskatchewan's biggest lentil customers. Following some uh, various market analysis and also received a, a call from a producer on it, it seems like the price of red lentils in particular may have softened a cent or two uh, after the the Trudeau India announcement earlier in the, in the week and one grower in particular called me up and said that one fairly significant buyer was limiting how much producers could sell yes there was a posted price i think it was 38 cents a, a pound but limiting it basically to four super bees per producer so kind of limiting what uh, their exposure would be in case uh, the tensions spill over even more into the trade area. I think it's something we'll really need to watch. Haven't heard much uh, as far as uh, an effect on chickpeas, uh, but certainly in, in lentils, where that's a big, big customer for us, it's, it's going to be, I think there's a lot of the trade nervous about whether this is going to spill over into the trade arena and lentils will be the one to watch. He notes there could be some political motivation behind the accusation made by Trudeau. Yeah, the political motivation is always uh, interesting to speculate on, but difficult to know for sure. I've seen other political speculation saying that, you know, it's good for the prime minister's uh, image to come out and and make such an accusation that everybody can get on side with the prime minister, uh, that it also deflects some of the problems with uh, China and some of the, 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 the situation for Chinese meddling in Canadian elections and that sort of thing. I, my personal view is that I'm, I'm not sure you should make that accusation unless you actually have solid proof and somebody is being charged with the murder. Um, it's pretty difficult to ask India to investigate itself if it was actually a state-sponsored uh, hit job. So we're really in uncharted territory here, uh, and I don't think there's any easy answers, but it sure is a case of politics spilling over and affecting trade in the agricultural world. 
But Hirsch isn't sure there will be much change in lentil prices over the next little while. I really can't speculate. Maybe this will all just sort of, lack of news, it'll just all sort of uh, fade away to some degree, although I don't think there'll be any <laughs> prime ministerial trips to India anytime soon. But maybe it will uh, uh, fade away from public view and, and trade won't be affected very much. On the, on the other hand, we, we may see ramifications. I, I'm really torn as to, as to what's likely to happen. I think everybody is nervous. And he notes wheat prices haven't fluctuated that much due to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Yeah, although there's, there's so many different ways to get grain out of India that you, you read the analysis and uh, it's finding a way out. Of course, they're running into a problem where their nearby neighbors don't want to be flooded with Ukrainian grain and they want to protect their own farmers. So that's, a, that's an interesting development. It sort of starts putting cracks in the, in the alliance against Russia, unfortunately. Kevin Hirsch is the chief agricultural editor for saskagtoday.com. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Priestville Salvage. See them for new and used ag parts. Beef and Forage Report. Live cattle futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange closed higher on Friday on tight U.S. cattle supplies and bargain buying a day after the benchmark December contract hit a one-week low. After the market closed, the U.S. Department of Agriculture in a monthly report said the number of cattle in U.S. feedlots as of September 1st totaled 11.094 million head, or 97.8% of a year ago, near the average estimate among analysts surveyed of 97.7 percent. The USDA said August cattle placements into feedlots were 94.9 percent of a year ago, above the average trade estimate of 93.6 percent, and August marketings were 94 percent of a year ago, below the average trade guess of 94.7 percent. Coming in relatively close to expectations, the USDA's figures looked fairly neutral for futures and reconfirmed that the number of cattle in feedlots remained smaller than a year ago after drought cut the size of the U.S. cattle herd. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. GX94, AgriView. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt is leading a trade and investment mission to Mexico to further international relationships, investment attraction, and opportunities in the agriculture and mining sectors. Members of Saskatchewan Trade and Export Partnership, or STEP, will be joining the delegation to attend the Food Tech Summit and Expo in Mexico City. The Food Tech Summit is a gathering of over 20,000 buyers, investors, and experts in the agri-foods industry. 
Step and the rest of the delegation will be hosting a booth and attending various events to position Saskatchewan as the destination of choice for agri-foods innovation and investment. The delegation also plans to meet with several agri-food companies outside of the summit. The minister's delegation will depart today and return on Friday. Even after 21 months of highly pathogenic avian influenza cases in Canada, including three new cases in domestic birds so far this month, Canada's stamping out policy for the virus remains in effect. Reports from the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, or CFIA, showed no avian flu detections in domestic birds from May 6th up until September 11th, when a commercial chicken and turkey broiler and layer operation east of New Dayton in southern Alberta's Warner County was found to have the virus. According to the CFIA's report to the World Organization for Animal Health, 390 birds on that premises died of the virus, and another 1,570 were euthanized. The CFIA on Thursday reported detection of a new outbreak on another commercial poultry operation in the southwestern Saskatchewan RM of Maple Creek. Details on the number and type of poultry affected at that premises aren't yet available. A third outbreak was confirmed Friday in domestic birds at a non-commercial, non-poultry premises in central Alberta's Red Deer County. CN and CPKC Rail supplied a combined 88% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 7, a decline from the previous week's 92% order fulfillment performance and the worst performance of the year so far. The deterioration in overall performance reflects a decline in performance for each of CN and CPKC. In supplying 87% of hopper cars ordered on time in Week 7, CN saw performance decline from the 88% order fulfillment performance they posted in week 6. CN performance remains below the 90% performance threshold for the third consecutive week and for the fourth time in the last five weeks. CPKC order fulfillment performance declined more significantly, with the railway supplying 90% of shipper orders in week 7 as compared to 95% order fulfillment performance in week 6. Despite the decline, CPKC continues its run with now 23 straight weeks with order fulfillment performance at or above the 90% threshold. The overall fund position in Ice Futures Canola flipped from a net long to a net short during the week ended Tuesday, marking the first net short position in the commodity in just over two months. That's according to the latest Commitments of Traders report from the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. As of Tuesday, the net managed money short position in canola futures came in at 14,538 contracts, a shift of about 17,000 contracts from the previous week's small net long position. Open interest in the canola market was up by nearly 13,000 contracts from the previous week, at 305,099 contracts. At the Chicago Board of Trade, fund traders were still holding a net long position in soybeans, but it was down by about 29,000 contracts on the week at roughly 38,400 contracts. Ontario's livestock producers could see more and improved options for pickup and sustainable disposal of dead stock 
through a new federal-provincial program now on offer. The Ontario and federal governments have opened the intake for applications under what they're calling the Increasing Dead Stock Capacity Initiative, budgeted for $1.5 million over two years. The program, to be delivered by Ontario's Agricultural Adaptation Council, is meant to help improve the removal, handling and the disposal of dead stock through cost-shared funding of projects that address immediate and short-term dead stock capacity needs at businesses and municipalities in Ontario. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will resume in two minutes. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and 16 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. A research scientist in Saskatoon has identified a protein that helps plant roots conserve resources in nitrogen-deficient soil. Those resources are then used for enhanced growth of the taproot, which can go deeper in search of areas with higher nitrate concentrations. The lead researcher is Dr. Matsutomo Tokasama, a postdoctoral research fellow at the Global Institute for Food Security at the University of Saskatchewan. He examined how plants respond when nitrate is not immediately available. It focused on a novel regulatory mechanism known as STOP1. Dr. Leon Kochan is the Root Research Group lead at the Global Institute for Food Security. We're trying to develop the tools because breeders can't breed for roots because they don't see the roots. The roots are the hidden half and they're harder to study. And so we kind of are helping the breeders by finding genes that make crops more nutrient efficient. He says stop one inhibits the lateral growth of plant's root which grown from the primary plant taproot when there is a nitrate deficiency. And if it's in a high nitrate region, it then turns on and grows the lateral roots to take up the nitrate. If it's low in nitrate, it'll turn off the growth of the, the, the lateral roots, and that saves carbon. It's carbon for the taproot to grow faster and, and keep going and move on and then into a region that's high in nitrate. So it's only really growing the lateral roots, which is, takes a lot of carbon, it's most of the roots, when it's in high nitrate. So it's a very elegant way to be more nitrogen efficient, meaning make more yield using less nitrogen. Dr. Cochin says the root research has future potential. But we got to show the breeders and the companies, this works in the field. You can apply 20% less in fertilizer and get the same yield, or, you know, it'll have that trade plus under drought, it doesn't have as much of a yield loss. So that would be the way we would we approach it as we find these genes or, or genetic regions that control different root traits. To use an analogy, the plant's root system performs the same function as intestines in a human. Absolutely. The outer surface layer of a root is like the intestinal villi in our gut. And they both have microbiomes that are essential for them to function properly. So, yeah, it's the intestine, intestinal lining of a, of a plant. The thing that's more complicated is it's sitting out there exposed to the environment. 
it's not in this nice protected one temperature no drought environment in your intestines. The network of regulators that drive these interactions are extremely complicated and additional work is needed to understand exactly how plants sense an area that is low in available nitrate. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for October closed at 186.97 today, down 10. December live cattle closed at 191.22, down 12. October feeder cattle closed at 258.82, down 32. November feeder cattle closed at 262.70, down 82. October lean hogs closed at 81.52 unchanged December lean hogs closed at 72.52 up 35 and that's the livestock market conditions please stay tuned Saskag today will return right after these messages welcome back to Saskag today once harvest wraps up many producers turn their attention to fall fertilizer applications Retired Yorkton agronomist Tom Weir says it's a common practice. Yeah, I mean, that's a, in this area, that's always a uh, next to putting it on right at seeding if, if a, a grower is equipped to do that. Uh, putting it on in the fall is probably uh, the next desirable application window. He explains why the fall is a great time to apply fertilizer. Well, there's a, a number of reasons. First of all, time. I mean, uh, we know here in the in the parklands that the springs are pretty uh, dramatic and and active. So I mean, when spring comes, guys like to get out and seed as as soon as possible. And if they have to apply fertilizer in a second op- uh, operation, that creates uh, you know a, a delay in seeding. So they'd like to get out there and do it all, get it out of the way. The second reason, I guess, is that over the years, uh, it doesn't happen every year, but about 19 out of 20 years, according to the the uh, records that I've been keeping over the last uh, 40-some years, fertilizer is cheaper, nitrogen is cheaper in the fall than it is in the spring. And the average is about 15%. So th- that aspect of it, uh, they can and get that... Uh, expense out of the way and, and save a little bit of money on it. So those are the are the two chief reasons I guess. The the third is going back into into the annals. Years ago when I worked with uh, Wesco fertilizer, uh, we did a lot of work on fall versus spring applications and and what we found was that actually over the years we saw a an increased uh efficacy by putting it on in the fall but that was sort of uh, there was two dichotomies one was it was more effective in dry years and uh, and it was less effective to spring banding if you put it on in uh, in wetter years so keeping those facts in mind uh, you know a lot of growers have uh, put on fertilizer put on their especially their anhydrous but also banding their urea in the fall Weir outlines what type of fertilizer is usually applied in the fall. Nitrogen is the is the number one product, and, and 
being put on in the fall. And, and no, it doesn't matter which uh, crop. You know, if we take a look at the four R's, which everybody uh, sort of the the buzzword in fertilizer and uh, and look at fall fertilizer. So, you know, we can we can talk about the right rate for the uh, for the crop that's being seeded. So with that, yeah, uh, growers still should try and get a soil test done and give them an idea on what they have for carryover before they they apply their fall product and there will be will be a difference in rates probably say between a, a barley crop and a, and a uh, canola crop so knowing what crop you're going to plant is important but uh, getting the soil test done is probably where a grower should start. He says purchasing fertilizer in the fall is usually a good idea even if you don't have time to apply it in the fall. Yeah and uh, so uh, you know with with dry product urea that that goes on a lot there's a lot of product purchased in the fall or or just before christmas with the spring what often happens in the fall is is somebody will book x number of tons of anhydrous and if they don't get it all on uh they'll have paid for it and and probably then be able to put it on in the spring uh the dealer would uh, store it for them Weir adds that a fall purchase is easier to manage than trying to get supply in the spring. Yeah, and we haven't seen a real shortage, but it becomes logistics. Uh, you know, when I worked in the in the uh, wholesale end of things, it was always the concept of having a pail under a, a tap and, and it drips all for months to fill that pail, and then it empties in, in uh, two weeks. So... Uh, the logistics of getting that fertilizer from the from the wholesale warehouse to the dealer and then out to the farm that's usually the the issue it's it very seldom do we see actual shortages he notes buying fertilizer in the fall can also help out producers who need an extra expense for their income tax for sure especially the guys that are in that cycle that are putting it on in the fall they really uh, almost need to spend the money in the fall to, to have the, their, uh, for tax purposes. Weir also talks about the ideal weather conditions to apply fall fertilizer. So then if we go back to our four R's, if we talk about the right time, if you read a lot, especially uh, stuff that's put out by Government of Canada, Ag Canada, or even Fertilizer Canada, they talk about moving fall applications to the spring. That is maybe more targeted to wetter, the wetter growing conditions. As I said before, uh, actually, if fall applications in, on in, on the drier side of conditions is performs as well or maybe even better than than spring applications. So, in in this area, I don't have an issue with a grower putting on fall uh, applications as long as he is putting it on when after the soil is cooling and the uh, the rule of thumb is we like to see it at uh, 10 degrees uh, Celsius or below the soil temperature because that, I guess the key things to, to think about when we're talking about the fertilizer is that uh, we want to keep the fertilizer in the ammonium form rather than the nitrate form. And if you, if you remember that uh, for fall fertilizers, it takes you a long ways to, to choosing the right time and the right product, right source. So with 
the time we want to put it on a t- at a temperature when we're not getting conversion of ammonium to nitrate. And that slows down significantly by the time we get to 10 degrees and 5 degrees, it's almost uh, at zero. So we And we know from history we're going to get winter, and it comes on pretty rapidly. So once we hit 10 degrees, usually we get a pretty rapid decrease in soil temperature to 5 degrees. We start getting freezing overnight and things like that uh, occurring in, in late October. So usually I, I look at after Thanksgiving. If a grower can wait to put on any any fertilizer till after Thanksgiving, he's going to be relatively sure that he's not going to get much conversion to nitrate. He also wanted to talk about using the right source. With that, as I mentioned before, we want a, an ammonium-based product. So anhydrous ammonia, urea, um, ammonium sulfate, they're all uh, the ammonium-based. And so with those, they, they have to convert to nitrate. Ammonium in the soil is very stable, so it has to convert to nitrate before we're going to see losses, uh, either uh, through uh, leaching or denitrification. The other thing, though, is that uh, we want to get the product in the ground, so that's the right place. And the reason we want it in the ground is that it shields it from volatilization losses. If you broadcast urea, there's uh, losses that uh, will gas off and and uh, through volatilization. But the key thing, I guess, is is the the keeping the product in it and uh, the ammonium form. So there's some newer technologies on the on the table uh, that growers can get that uh, have nitrification inhibitors in it, and that stops the conversion of ammonium to nitrate. So if you're putting a product on A fields that are uh, susceptible to wet conditions and maybe spring flooding, or B, if you're putting it on uh, land prior to the temperature getting down to 10 degrees, then a grower could consider putting on a, a nitrification inhibitor product. Now, these products, some of them are, are marketed to, to be broadcast, but work that's been done shows that they will perform as good or better if they're banded so uh, in the soil. So th- those are the, the concepts that, that a grower should look for, the right place being in the ground, the right time after October 15th or after Thanksgiving when the soil is uh, at 10 degrees C, the right rate based on a soil test and the right source based on a, an ammonium form and if you're going into land that's susceptible maybe to nitrification putting using a denitrification inhibitor or a nitrification inhibitor. Tom Weir is a retired agronomist based in Yorkton. It's time now for the commodities update and that's a presentation of Ducks Unlimited Canada. Ducks Unlimited is offering a new winter wheat program package that will help with your crop's yield and water retention. The winter cereal program package comes with agronomic advice from seeding to harvest and more. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed down rather sharply today. November canola closed at 7.10.90 down $11.10. 
January canola closed at 720.70, also down $11.10. December Minneapolis wheat closed at 769 per bushel, down one and a half cents. December Kansas City wheat closed at 714 and a half, up three and a quarter cents. December Chicago wheat closed at 589 per bushel, down nine and a half cents. December corn closed at 481 and a quarter, up four cents. November soybeans closed at 1297 and three quarters, up one and a half cents. December oats closed at 433 and a half, that's up eight and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after these messages. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. Research scientists in Saskatoon are assessing the value of artificial intelligence to track and improve animal welfare for pigs. It's a combined effort between the Western College of Veterinary Medicine and the University of Saskatchewan's Department of Computer Engineering. Dr. Martina Lagoda is a postdoctoral fellow on swine behavior and welfare. Consumers want to know that the animals reared for meat have had a good quality of life, and this knowledge can be delivered to consumers by unbiased animal welfare assessments. Currently, on-farm welfare assessments take place maybe only once a year. They are not always performed by a third party, so they may be biased. And on-farm assessments are also very time-consuming and a threat to biosecurity. The computer engineer team is working on a carcass assessment diagnostic tool. The computer engineering team has a fully working computer model that can detect and track the same pig carcass. And it can also identify the dorsal and the lateral sides, as well as specific body regions of the pig. So, for example, the tail, shoulder or the ear, which are important parts for animal welfare. The model is currently being trained for the detection of lesions on carcasses, both in terms of quantity and quality. The goal of this project is to determine whether there are links between lesions seen on carcasses and those collected on live animals on farm, using a much wider range of lesions than previously tested. And we'd like to confirm as well whether carcass lesions can accurately tell us about the animal's welfare on farm. The study included on-farm visits by research scientists, as well as videos recorded at the processing plant to develop AI for carcass scoring. Dr. Lagoda says the on-farm data is currently being analyzed and results are expected by next April. It's now coming up on 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. A mix of sun and cloud, winds southeast at 10 to 20, a high of 22 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds southeast at 15 to 25, a low of 11. For tomorrow, becoming mainly sunny, winds southeast at 15 to 25, a high of 21, an overnight low of 12. 
for Wednesday, partly to mainly sunny. Winds south-southeast at 15 to 30, a high of 22. For Thursday, a 60% chance of showers, a high of 20. And Friday, mainly sunny, a high of 21. In the Paw, it's 20 degrees, Swan River 19, Dauphin and Roblin 17, Brandon, Show Lake Russell 16. Regina and Indian Head are at 22 degrees, Saskatoon, Hudson Bay 21, Broadview, Mooseman 19, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington 24. The Yorkton, Melville region has a cloudy sky. A southeast wind at 15 kilometers an hour. 89% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 16 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskang today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. Saskag Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.